Welcome to The Human Condition with Lisa Gregory. I wish people could learn to value our individual gifts instead of focusing on our oddities, says Jack Gorecki of his Asperger's syndrome. Diagnosed at four years old, Gorecki has spent his entire life learning to navigate through a world he often does not understand, a world that often refuses to attempt to understand him. As such, Gorecki, the singer for the rock band Ignite the Fire, is using his platform as a performer to provide a voice for others on the autism spectrum, advocating and educating. When did you realize that you were a little different, that you were maybe um, not like some of the other kids? I was told that I was different when I was about four years old. I guess I would say that once I was in public school and I was surrounded by kids my own age who kind of were their own agents, Mm -hmm. I started to notice that I didn't really fit in with a lot of people. I rocked back and forth. I caused a lot of distractions. That's one of the reasons why they had to take me out. Mm -hmm. I was out of public school in about, uh, I think, halfway through second grade and I think that really helped because having to balance learning and social things at the same time was really difficult for me. So I would say, I guess I noticed when I was different when I was in public school. But you know, when I wrote about you before for the article that I did on you and I interviewed your mother, you know, you were incredibly bright. She said that they, your nickname was the little professor (laughs) and that you had this incredible memory, but you also had issues too. You referred to yourself in the third person and then you, you developed the stimming, which you want to tell our listeners that may not be familiar with that. And you actually made up your own word for it, if I remember correctly too. (laughs) Could you kind of educate our listeners a little bit on what that is? So I guess the professional term is uh, is stemming, but in a little boy's portmanteau, I used to call it dudging. Uh, and that would basically be me shaking parts of my body, like my, my torso, my arms, my, my head, certain parts of my body to give myself a, a vibrating sensation, the same way that one would um, sit in a vibrating chair or get a sort of vibration massage on the back, that kind of thing. That and that really... was comforting to you. Absolutely. It's the same kind of comfort that happens when you, when you run for a long time or you work out. When you, when you put your body into strenuous mode, the endorphins that happen after that are really, really beneficial. And I guess that was what I was first discovering when I was a kid was that I had a lot of energy. I had a lot of strain and I needed to get it out as much as possible. As I got older, I replaced dojing with mosh pits, which is why I got into music. Ah, nice segue there. <laughs> Thank you. So let's talk about, well, first I want to go back and and clarify something. You identify as having Asperger's because a lot of people don't use that term anymore. But when you were diagnosed in the early 90s, I assume, around mid, early to mid-90s, um, it was commonly used. And you still use that term, correct? It's just what I'm comfortable with. Sure. I just want our listeners to know that we're well aware that the terminology has evolved <laughs> and grown, but this is this is what you're comfortable with. Absolutely. And I, I figure that if if it's a disorder that affects me personally, I get to put my own spin on it. There you go. I like, it. I like how you think. So public school was difficult for you. Um, 
Your mother decided to homeschool you, mm-hmm. and you thrived in that environment from what I remember. Absolutely. And then you went back to public school. And how old were you at that time, Jack? I was 10 years old and put into, I want to say, the last month and a half of public school. And I was in fifth grade for about six to four weeks, if I remember correctly, which wasn't that bad. Um, I met all the old kids who used to be friends with me, and some of which who used to bully me, who were happy to have me back. Basically tried to, you know, jokingly remember, like, hey, I beat you up in the playground before, and I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Your your point being, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, what's your point? Mm -hmm. Um, So, but... Even though it was nice to see familiar faces again, because one thing that really helps for me uh, whenever I'm entering a stressful situation is any form of familiarity. So to see, even though I wasn't, even though the situation in being public school wasn't entirely positive, it was still familiar. And that's something that can often really benefit someone with my disorder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least it, it, it benefited me. When I, I interviewed some people that went to school with you for the article, mm-hmm. they talked about how you kind of just let it roll off of you. But I think inside, it, it was more challenging, wasn't it? I mean, it, it did bother you. It had to have bothered you that people weren't accepting. They didn't understand. If I, if I didn't have the ability to express myself in an artistic form, mm-hmm. um, and I don't mean to get dark, but I probably would have ended my life. It's hard enough to go through life without any form of validation. Mm-hmm. And for me, being able to visually express what I was feeling inside was a really validating personal thing for me. So yeah, for every adverse effect that happened in public school, there was always a drawing. I have boxes full of these things. I remember there being uh, a specific one that was talked about in the article, and that was um, of four people who were just, and I don't like to use, uh, I don't like to use the word mean, but these people were unnecessarily nasty. Mm -hmm. It was like, some of the things that they would say, some of the things that they would do, I can't, I can't think of why somebody would do or say mm-hmm. these kinds of things. Wasn't it, uh, if I remember correctly, it was, it was drawn from your perspective, down, cowering down on the gym floor, looking up, and them sort of hovering over you. And I think one of them was pointing his finger in your face. Yeah, the gym floor was more wet than usual. Mm-hmm. And um, I had slipped and fallen and hurt my back. And at the time, that was when uh, some of the kids in gym who I thought were my friends were discovering some personal things about me that I wasn't necessarily ready to reveal, but somebody already had. And um, they stopped being my friends, and they sort of they took to turning me into their sort of punching bag, figuratively, of course. I mean, they didn't... I was never really exposed to any kind of physical violence mm-hmm. in the gym room, but... I'm sure that if there wasn't a whole lot of watch or there wasn't a whole lot of caring teachers, they probably would have. So that was a situation where I'd fallen and uh, I wasn't ready to get up yet because my shoulder and my back still hurt. And so they just kind of walked around, made a perimeter and started laughing and pointing at me. What were your feelings at that moment? I don't really like to think about it. I understand and, that. I can well, yeah, understand I, that. Yeah. But... Um, <sighs> I mean, I was definitely in a lot of pain. Well, emotionally and physically. Yeah. If it wasn't for me 
holding back, waiting until I had my music in my ears in my house, I probably would have started dudging right then and there. <laughs> Which probably would have made the situation worse, considering who I was around. But um, I guess the first emotion that went through my mind that I can give to you is uh, a state of fear, dread. You mentioned um, facial expressions and how, how challenging they are. And I think for those of us who aren't on the spectrum or are closely associated with someone, they might not always understand your challenge. And I really would like to use this as an opportunity to educate people. Um, talk about your challenges with micro expressions. When I was a kid, um, subtlety has never really been a strong point for me throughout my entire life. And um, for me, there's nothing really more subtle than a face. The amount of times a face moves during the day, other than to make opening or closing of the eyes or a, a raise of the eyebrow or just moving the mouth is, it happens so much that my brain just kind of gets used to it. So when an emotion happens, it's almost like, oh, there's an eye movement, there's a mouth movement, there's a forehead raise. Oh, well, I'm used to that. That doesn't really mean anything. That's just kind of what my brain does. And so because I, I guess going back to when I was a kid, uh, that's kind of how I used to think. And that's one of the reasons why I called them real people movies didn't interest me. So I would always be sat watching cartoons or animated specials where faces were exaggerated to the point where there was no question of being able to determine what they were feeling. Um, I think if my mom didn't introduce me to Jim Carrey movies, I probably would never have watched a real people movie in my life. Mm. Uh, Jim Carrey was the most animated human being I'd ever seen. He had one of those faces where you could not question what was going through his mind at that moment. And then while watching those movies, my mom would sit down with me and explain, do you see his face right there? Do you see, do you see how the face moves? Now, take that face, take what you're feeling. You can, you can see what that face is doing. And then she would show me another person or another character or another face and say, that is how this person feels, but this is what their face looks like. It's a lot more subtle. And that's when I got it. So something that would have been second nature to someone like myself, you basically had to train your brain to understand and recognize. It was like a whole nother language. Interesting. That's an interesting way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Would you say that was one of the most challenging or continues to be one of the most challenging aspects of being on the spectrum? It's not hard for me anymore. They're a lot more easier to discern. And of course, being in, in the spotlight in a band and having mm -hmm. to be around people a lot, that has certainly helped me a lot. It was definitely difficult at first, but the more I practice, the more easy it gets. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. And I did want to add that that is one of the reasons when you interact with people that you tend to avoid eye contact as well, because you don't want to be distracted by trying to read the, the subtle micro expressions. Am I correct on that? Absolutely. Um, there are so many situations, especially when I'm trying to focus on something I consider to be important, where I don't really look at the face of somebody because mm -hmm. I never really know what to expect. I would more look at uh, an off-colored wall or a pretty pattern on a mattress or something like that. Because um, it's more calming to you, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Let you focus, would you say? Absolutely, yes. Um, focusing on something that doesn't change helps me to focus more on the mm -hmm. thoughts that are changing and need to come out thoroughly in my head. You love art. 
Absolutely. And you got a degree in art, mm-hmm. but you've also been doing this front man singing for a band thing with Ignite the Fire for the past, what is it, eight, nine years now? Uh, nine years for me, yes. Yeah. Now, according to your mother and family lore, you had the perfect pitch from birth, apparently. Did a lot of theater as well as singing. Um you want to tell the funny story about your mother rocking you when you were like little guy and she was singing to you and what happened? Okay. I love this story so much. Short, short <laughs> disclaimer for my listeners. <laughs> I love my mother very much. Yes, you do. She took very good care of me. Yes, she did. And she is one of the greatest human beings on the planet. Never gets enough credit, but I want to make sure that people know that if I didn't have her in my life, I would not be the person I am today. So having said that, (laughs) I was a very difficult baby to deal with. When my mother had my sister, who was the firstborn in my family, she was a very easy baby to deal with from what I hear. Uh, My mom would rock her to sleep and sing to her. Then I come along, and the rocking is nice, but the singing. I would cry. I would cry loud. I would cry long. And that would just make my mom want to sing more, which would make me want to cry more. And it wasn't until I was able to talk and I was able to say the words, Mom, please stop, that uh, she finally put it together. And she would ask, you know, why do you want me to stop? And I said, because it doesn't sound right. I can't explain it, but it doesn't sound like how I've heard it before. And And that was the perfect pitch. Well, yeah. And I... I can hear the pitch in my head and it's, it's, you know, and I don't mean this in an insulting way whatsoever, but it's so alien to me when I try to explain something that's so second nature to me to other people who say, I can't do that. I have no idea what you're talking about. How did you come to be with Ignite the Fire? And let me add this. Had you considered the whole concept of a front man? Music has always been a big staple in my life. My family would always have music playing throughout the house. It was very calming. And especially for me, it gave me an instance to move my body around, which is what I really needed being a very stressed out kid. And so I knew that I wanted to do, if anything, I wanted to be creative in the aspect of music at some point in my life. So I'd entertained the idea of being in a band and I visited my local music shop that just so happened to have a an ad for a local rock band called Ignite the Fire. It had a number present, and I was like, "Well, opportunity." Mm-hmm. So I picked up one of the uh, one of the slips, and um, I had asked if I could come over for an interview. We started playing around. I was blown away at how good of musicians they were. They were playing the music that really resonated with me. Right. So it took me about three. Uh, trials with the band before they sent me a text message and said, hey, we like your personality, somehow. We like your, <laughs> we like your sound, <laughs> and welcome to Ignite the Fire. Now, did you consider um, you being on the spectrum with Asperger's, that that would interfere with what you wanted to do? Because the one thing I will say about you is that you have beautifully learn to navigate socially. What I've noticed in in the entertainment industry and something I've noticed as a as a very young child was that especially in the entertainment business your weaknesses are often your greatest strengths. Uh, there are people who use what outcasts them as kids 
and turn that into what makes them great people or turns them into what makes them great entertainers. How does that apply to you? I'm curious. I will say that having Asperger's gives me a really good memory. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure because one mm-hmm. of the common staples of people with Asperger's or autism is that they have a good memory on things that they're focused on. So when I hyper-focus myself to something that I'm interested in, I make great things happen. And that's me speaking very proudly of what I can do. I would say that uh, me having this disorder definitely helps out, especially in the creative process. Which brings us to the social interaction, being the front man for the band. And you and I have talked about this at length several times, that you have come such a long way. But those early days, when you came off that stage and you were such a presence with this soaring, these soaring vocals and the way you interact with the crowd. But then you had to come down among the masses. Mm-hmm. That was a little more challenging in the early days. Am I correct? I would say so, yes. Being in the entertainment industry, I've learned that uh, nobody is the same person they are on stage as they are off the stage. Mm-hmm. Or nobody is the same in the professional field as they would be in their personal private uh, field. But for me, I always got the sense that whenever I got off the stage, people sort of had an expectation of me to act exactly the same way as I would on stage. And I guess it never really occurred to me that people expect you to stay entirely consistent throughout every platform you're on. And what I'd like to make perfectly clear is that I have a specific presence that I have on stage, and I have which takes a lot of energy. I don't have the command over people as I would on the stage. So I become a lot more laid back. I become a lot more chill, I guess you could say. And for some people that can, I guess in the early days, my definition of chill was just be yourself without thinking, (laughs) which didn't go over very well sometimes. Nowadays, I can still be myself, but I still have to remember that these people hold you in high regard. So act as if you're worth that high regard. You're not real comfortable making eye contact. And when you have people coming up wanting to shake your hand, wanting to get your autograph, wanting to thank you for your music, that that could not have felt comfortable for you lots of that. Plus, you're exhausted from this incredibly energetic show that you've just done. When I was in homeschool, One of the first things my mom did was enroll me in theater. Mm -hmm. And being in theater, learning how to act, learning how to exaggerate faces, learning how to become a different character and let the the me that functions and operates on a day-to-day basis just kind of take a back seat to the character Mm -hmm. that I want to be, that really helps me dealing with people. Because a lot of the times when you're around people... Obviously, you know, that persona is still me. It's a, it's a persona that I've, I've made based on myself. So you're still getting the real me. It's just, there are things that I would share with my girlfriend that I wouldn't share with my fan. There would be things <laughs> that I would share with my mother that I wouldn't share with a fan. Mm-hmm. There are things that I would share with myself and myself alone or a therapist or any, think of any intimate relationship mm-hmm. that wouldn't be appropriate for mm-hmm. who I am in a professional setting. So while that person still is myself, it's more of a refined image of what I'd like to be. Which, you know, brings up the, uh, the, your band nickname, Brutally Honest Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, boy. You were, you were telling me before that um, sometimes you don't have a filter, but you've learned to navigate with that as, uh, socially as well. Oh, yeah. 
It's it's nice being around people where you don't have to worry about having a filter. Like, sure. I, I swear, you, the guys in the band, everyone who has accepted me, disorder and everything, they've kind of accepted that I'm going to say things that are a little bit off-putting, that are, for lack of a better word, sketchy sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm very happy to have a situation or a, a group of people who accept me no matter what. What is the hardest thing about having Asperger's, in your opinion? I don't really think in those terms. I don't like to think of the negative aspects of Asperger's. Hmm. I mean, there are, there are definitely negative aspects, but I don't like to think on that. I instead like to think of, you know, this is what I have. These are the cards I'm dealt. How am I going to use the cards I'm dealt to play the best hand I can until I inevitably end? And what would you want to tell, you know, individuals, um, young people, children, parents, family members, friends that, that have somebody in their life that, that's on the spectrum? It is definitely okay to be different. And a lot of people take that phrase for granted and are like, oh, everyone's different. Everyone's, you know, everyone's different in their own way. Yeah, okay. There are people who are, I don't want to use, I don't want to place difference on a scale, but there are some differences that the world will try to limit. There are some differences that the world's not okay with yet. Um, there always have been throughout all of history, and they're still going to be forever. But just because you have a difference that the world doesn't agree with doesn't make the difference go away. And as if I've learned anything, don't let the world try to make your difference go away. If you do have something that is affecting you, and you do have something that is making you an outcast, there is a way to use that to your advantage. There is a way to, to take that difference, to take whatever's making you feel like an outcast, and turn it into something to be the best version of yourself possible. If you ever do encounter someone who is on the spectrum, the best thing that you can give to them is patience. Um, there are a lot of things that I want to think that neurotypical people take for granted about how easily uh, social structure comes for them. It doesn't come easily. And there are going to be instances where somebody on the spectrum is going to, for lack of better words, make everyone around them potentially feel uncomfortable. But they only feel uncomfortable because they don't understand. Recognize that if you are uncomfortable by something that this person does, Maybe consider the fact that you don't quite understand what they're going through and maybe take that opportunity to be patient with them and ask them, what do you need rather than, you know, get as far away from them as possible. Do you think attitudes are changing um, and getting better from the time that you were first diagnosed in what, the mid 90s, early 90s to now? Well, in my case, um, I would say that I was lucky enough to... Um, to have my disorder in a time where information is so easily accessible and it's much easier for people with the disorder to share their stories and build a community of people who can actually talk about it. But I feel like attitudes towards any kind of difference just sort of ebb and flow throughout the ages. I mean, there are still so many people who don't accept that someone might be different. There are so many people who would rather persecute somebody for being different than letting them be who they are. And there are some people who think that their difference makes them better than everybody else. So they certainly don't set a great image for, for other people who might share the same difference. But I feel like as long as we just keep letting everyone just 
kind of be who they are and just sit down and talk to each other about it like we're doing now, I think that is the best way to learn about everybody's difference and how we can cohabitate on this strange and stressful world and make it a little bit less stressful for everyone else. I'm kind of proud of the fact that I have Asperger's. Interesting. And I feel like that's a common thing with a lot of people who are on the spectrum is that they're proud of their disorder. It would be like, there are some instances where people will say, you know, one day we'll be able to cure autism and that rubs me the wrong way. Why is that? Being on the spectrum is as normal to me as my eye color. It's as normal to me as the hair that's growing on my skin right now. It's as normal to me as my jawline or my beard that I have to shave. You know, it's, it's just kind of part of my life. And for someone telling me that there's a cure for it is akin to saying that, there, that it's a disease, that it's a virus, that it's something that should be eradicated. And I don't agree with that because this isn't one of those things where it's just a defect. This is something where there's a lot of positivity to be found in it. Having autism is not a curse. And if anyone tells you it is, they are wrong and they're not healthy for you. I would like to thank my guests for joining me today on The Human Condition with Lisa Gregory. And thank you, the listener, for joining us today. If you would like to know more about the show, please visit my website at thehumanconditionpodcast.com. 